You are about to enter a great adventure. This is starting from Gorilla. Everybody and welcome to another edition of Strutting from Gorilla, first of 2021. And as you heard, that is the great entrance music of Brett the Hitman Hart. Today we've got a deep dive into the career of Brett the Hitman Hart, our favorite wrestler here at Strutting from Gorilla, where we're four guys in our mid-30s who love to chit-chat about wrestling, uh, mostly 80s and 90s, but uh, we can be uh, in the 10s and 20s. So uh, this is the first uh, part of a three-part series that we're doing here at Striding from Gorilla. We're starting out with Brett the Himian Heart, The Excellence of Execution. We'll be moving to an episode of the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels, his uh, mortal enemy. And then we'll finish it up with the third and final edition where we will uh, compare the two careers. We will uh, give you our thoughts on who's better, who's the best, who's the best there is, who's the best there was, and who the best there ever will be was so today we got our breath the hitman heart show here at strutting from gorilla uh we've broken it down starting all the way back in the stampede years the heart foundation in the 80s then we're going to move on to the hitman years the the 90s where most of uh most of the diehard wrestling fans will remember him from and then you know we'll move on to the wcw years which are uh as you'd probably guess kind of sucky and then we'll even bring back, uh, you know, his return, his redemption tour uh, back in the uh, O's and 2000s. So here we go. We're going to start back in the Stampede Wrestling era, the Hart Foundation, the 80s, the early 90s. Vito, start us off. Thank you, Mango. Yeah, uh, I'm really excited for this episode. Um, you know, love Brett the Hitman Hart. We talk about him all the time. So we'll get right into it. Uh, you know, obviously he's an icon in the business and it, it starts from the beginning, right? Where he kind of came up through the Stampede uh, Wrestling promotion, which was run by his father, Stu Hart, who has the dungeon, right? Everyone talks about the the Hart dungeon where Stu would go down there and beat the living shit out of you and you'd come out a, a better man, right? You'd come out battle tested. Well, funny about Brett and what I think, this where it all started is he has an amateur wrestling background. So like he started wrestling as a young kid in amateur wrestling. Um, he actually went to college to wrestle and actually uh, major in film production, which I think is pretty good parallel because Brett tells some great stories in a lot of his matches. And I think that has to do with it. Um, he, he, as he went along, um, you know, he became known as one of the best jobbers in wrestling. So as he came along through college, he went to the, the stampede wrestling promotion that, uh, Stu Hart, that Stu Hart ran, um, and people knew him as the best jobber in the world, which basically means he learned very early on to take a beating and earn his way up the card right big difference from today's wrestlers um i I think you could see the difference where they're not in a factory just coming out and then all of a sudden winning a title right away he started as a ring announcer then he um went up as as someone who was a jobber um and then he would literally get his ass kicked by everyone so Vito, he actually he did some refereeing too yeah. So uh, to tell the listeners, one of the one of the like the big like timelines that we're getting here and we're kind of giving to you is can be seen on the 2005 DVD that WWE released about Bret Hart. So some of the things that we're kind of putting out there for people who may not have seen it or just aren't really that familiar with Bret's career, that's kind of where we're getting some of this from. So it's it's all from Bret's mouth. Um, one of the you know you talked about his ability to job Vito and he he talks about learning that from these two guys that worked for stampede wrestling at the time, Mr. Hito and Mr. Sakurata. And he says he credits them with being able to have that hard hitting, realistic technical style. And he, he attributes a lot of his, his, uh, his successes later on to kind of the foundation that, that he got while training with them. 
Yeah, no, that's that's a great point, uh, definitely. And I feel like a lot of wrestlers kind of learn a lot through through Japanese wrestlers. There's a good heritage there, and I think it's that kind of that honor and respect factor. Um, and I don't think a lot of wrestlers today get that, but I think that's a big part of Brett's career and what made him so great in this industry. Um, one of the things that I think is notable from the Stampede days is that uh, he he had matches against the Dynamite Kid, which Dynamite Kid uh, he's he's talked about a lot um, from a lot of wrestlers, and Brett has great respect for him, and he has some great matches. Uh, Mike, have you seen some of those matches? I, I know you had talked about them before. I so I had attempted to find some on the network, and there was really only one that I could find, and it was actually on an episode of NXT UK. The wrestlers were sort of giving some of their favorite matches. So Rich Holland put out a match. I think it was from right when WWF had bought Stampede Wrestling. So it was on an episode of Primetime Wrestling, and it was Dynamite Kid versus Bret Hart from I think like 1985. You could tell right there the things that those guys were doing. Are but we see it almost every week now on like Raw or NXT and AEW. The things that those guys were doing at the time were I I would I don't think it's hyperbole to say they were borderline revolutionary in what they were doing. They were oh, quick agreed. styles. I mean, Dynamite Kid had one of the best snap suplexes ever. I mean, you only really saw Chris Benoit do something like that. But right. the their ability to work such a fast paced match and also be so hard hitting and technical. What a hybrid. And, and I think it was really something that w- was a beginning of a shift in how people saw smaller wrestlers. You know, uh, Chris Jericho talks about Dynamite Kid a lot, too, um, and how he was a big influence in his career. So I I, I could see it. And I, I think that's where you get a lot of it from. The thing I, I notable about Dynamite Kid is um, I believe he had a lot of brain issues. And Benoit is the one who started doing the flying headbutt, which I believe Dynamite Kid did. And um, and that they basically said, like, don't do it. Look what happened to Dynamite Kid. And Benoit continued to do it. But that's a side subject. But but anyway, so moving along here, you know, the, the WWF then, you know, in their destiny to be this big conglomerate that they are now, they started to buy up promotions and they bought Stampede Wrestling. So they had all of these Canadian wrestlers on there. Um, and a lot of them trained by Stu Hart. And you can see the difference in those wrestlers when they come in right now, now Brett has got a, a bigger, bigger place to go out. Um, the first thing that he does, he joins with uh, Jimmy Hart and um, Jim, the anvil nine heart, and they become the first heart foundation. Interesting point here. Brett never loved to do promos. He hated them. In fact, the reason he wore those sunglasses was because it was to conceal his nervousness during the promos at the beginning. Um, and if you listen, Brett really is never the best on the mic. He ends no, up like kind no, of, he kind of ends up turning into this guy that can be good on the mic. Um, I'll get a little bit into that later on. Uh, but I always thought that that was very interesting. And then that it's kind of like the, the, the urn story, right? Like everything that mm-hmm. happens organically, just, it feels so much better. Like the glasses became what, what made Bret Hart so popular. He'd come out, yeah. put them on a little kid's head. And um, it, it was awesome. I like I was telling you earlier, Mike. I I have a pair of the Bret Hart glasses somewhere in my my house, those souvenir ones, and they're they're iconic. It's what makes him makes him who he is. Um, it's so great because as you're talking about that, I'm thinking about something he said about when he first got into the WWF and how the foundation was formed. He was recognizing he was sort of jobbing out. You know, they weren't really utilizing him. Shocker and. He actually he did something that a lot of guys weren't doing at the time, which was he was going to management and saying, this isn't working. We got to do something different. You know, we talk about all the, the like the issues with WWE creative now, but it was happening back then, too. So this is nothing new. And then they ended up putting him with, like you said, Jimmy Hart and, and Jim the Anvil. And it was really it was so good because what it did was one, he wears the visors. And like you said, it helps him kind of during the promos hide his nervousness. But also he could rely on Anvil and he could rely on Jimmy Hart to be the mouthpieces. And he didn't have to do too much. And it worked so well, like you said, very organically. And during that time, you know, Jesse Ventura was on commentary during a lot of that time frame that the foundation was kind of hitting it big. And one thing that he kind of alludes to on the DVD is he says that the, the term the dungeon was never something that was really popular and it, it didn't kind of get brought into like mainstream until Jesse Ventura started like mentioning it. So he's kind of the one 
that we can credit with the dungeon taking on sort of the the aura that it takes on uh, the mystique so that that was a really cool little nugget it's like uh, it's not even on the main documentary it's on like one of the extras on it good point before we uh move on a little bit uh the dungeon is real yes it is was it like a dungeon it's just a basement it's an unfinished basement with a lot of like gym mats there yeah and basically Stu hart would take guys down and train them and when i say train them he would kind of like I'm only speaking from the, the one the one clip that I saw from the Wrestling with Shadows documentary where he's down there and you hear this guy just screaming and he this guy like passes out and he's just stretching them and and it's like nuts because Stu Hart at that time I feel like he's like in his mid seventies or something or close to eighty and this kid is definitely in his mid twenties and he's just stretching them and this kid's crying it's it's friggin' hysterical yeah no I was uh, just gonna say so Jr actually talked about this this dungeon and he had a um snippet on his podcast that you know when Shawn michaels was facing bret hart at wrestlemania 12 um for the iron man match they did these vignettes on how they were training and so jr actually went down to um well or went up to calgary and went down to the dungeon and was doing some filming and um he he Stu hart brought him down there and said hey kid you want me to show you what's down in the dungeon? And he goes, uh, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll go down there. So JR goes down there and he starts putting moves on, on JR and immediately JR taps out like right away. And he, he came back up and he, he tells the story on his, um, on his podcast. And it's pretty interesting, but I figured I'd add that, that little snippet about the dungeon to be a fly on the wall, that's watching awesome. Stu Hart stretch JR. Hilarious. Yeah, that's amazing. So Stu Hart was the owner of stampede. Uh, they were kind of in some financial straits, right? They weren't doing that well financially. Um, Vince threw them the lifeline. They take over Stampede. Was was Brett like the main acquisition there from Stampede? Well, I think it was Brett, uh, obviously uh, Dynamite Kid as well, that were sort of the main two guys. Uh, this is all according to the uh, from the DVD that I saw, like this documentary. Like, well, I just watched it again this week. And Vince kind of sings the praises of Dynamite Kid and Bret Hart is like, I guess there were other guys there, too, that he thought he saw some potential in. But I think according to him, those were the two main acquisitions from getting Stampede. And also it was um, it was a Canadian presence, too. Right now you're Mm -hmm. getting the Canadian fans involved as well. So it's kind of that's when WWE was in the process of trying to buy up every territory. And it was big controversy. But uh, but yeah, that that was part of it. Definitely. You know, uh, Vince gets a lot of shit for that, but that's this is a story for another day. But like this it takes two to to make a acquisition. You know, they had to be selling if he was going to be buying. Yeah, um, correct. But yeah, so we're getting into the WWF years, and and he was part of the was Anvil his actual like was he really related to Anvil? So it, Anvil married his sister. Who, oh, I see. yeah, yeah, brother in law. Right, right. So I don't know, I, I don't know like the full timeline of it. I, I don't know if like him and Brett's sister ended up getting married, like as a result of them forming the tag team or it happened before. But I mean, either way, it sounded like Brett was pretty comfortable with him. And obviously you, you saw that in their ring chemistry. They were, they, they kind of had a really versatile style, you know, kind of getting back to their, their uh, heart foundation years. They were one of the first tag teams where it wasn't just like two big guys or two small guys. It was, you know, you had a powerhouse and you had a guy that could work. So that that was really important. And I think that 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 was something that we've seen. We've seen that formula repeated over the years. So there's been an influence from from their work together. And they were versatile as a tag team. They worked with guys like uh, what Demolition, the Rockers, Killer Bees, the British Bulldogs. Nasty uh, boys, the nasty boys. I mean, they could work with Beckers. Well, yeah, they could work with all of them. You know, I, I, I was there was one match that I, I watched recently, and forgive me, I just got to pull it up because I think it's the, one of their matches against Demolition that it was like a two out of three falls match, if I'm not mistaken, and it was like one of the better tag team matches I've ever seen from Demolition. I don't know how that happened. Like I, I think I was sleeping on demolition. 
we know how that happened, Mike. It has Bret Hart in it. Like, come on, yeah. let's be oh, honest. Okay. SummerSlam 1990. <laughs> Sorry, I have like five different documents up on my computer right now, so I was a little confused. But yeah, SummerSlam 1990, Hart Foundation was demolition. Two out of three falls. Oh my god, it was so good. You get a little like save from the LOD too because demolition was doing some shady tactics. But really fun match, and that crowd pop is wild, wild. Oh. I haven't honestly that seen you'll that see. one. I need to check that one out. Yeah, a lot theme, of fun. I haven't seen it either. A theme that you'll see as we go on, fans, is uh, is that uh, people have their best matches with Bret the Hitman Hart, whether it be Demolition. It's like true. you just said, you slept on Demolition. I did. But uh, may, I don't think you did. I think they slept. <laughs> and Bret Hart brought the best out of him. I would say that. So in so Wrestle, uh, SummerSlam 90, he's part of the Hart Foundation in the tag team championship mm-hmm. match. Right. And then we go on to 91. That was a big one. As yeah, what she said. Yeah, so, Sorry, that was a terrible so, transition. <laughs> that was an awful transition. <laughs> yeah, no, that's all right. Uh, but before I, like, as we move towards that too, the one thing about the Hart Foundation, right, that was great is that Jimmy Hart, not only did they have last names that were the same, but Jimmy Hart was a great mouthpiece for Brett and the Anvil because neither one of them could really talk great at that point. So having him as a mouthpiece was really good. He went in and actually had one of his first singles matches in Boston against the Steamboat, right? Ricky Steamboat. And um, it's one of his favorite matches of his career. And I haven't actually seen it, but I can imagine it's awesome. Steamboat always puts on a great, great match. Red Hart, you put those two together. Oh, man, that's like a pro wrestling erection right there. Like, <laughs> just love it. Beautiful. Um, it's but beautiful stuff. They, they won two two tag team championships in their career. The, the Hart foundation did. Um, and they originally, and then they lost it in at WrestleMania seven to who else, but the nasty boys who again, probably a leader of men's favorite tag team. Cause they're two very large individuals. Okay. You know, believe it or not. Uh, I enjoyed the nasty boys, but, uh, they were not one of my favorites. Well, that's disappointing. Cause they were one of mine. Uh, Harlem heat you know? was actually one of my favorite tag teams. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, so they lost it to re- at WrestleMania 7 to the Nasty Boys, and then they kind of split up at that year. So now we move into like the, the Hitman years, right? I think you're starting to see the potential of Bret Hart. They're seeing how good of a wrestler he is. Um, and wh- here's the thing, though, about this time, okay? And it's still like WWE is really good at promoting. So their matches at this time were never really about the wrestling. They are about the promotions like the big the, the 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 immortal hulk hogan andre the giant larger than life the matches are not what make it it's it's the promotion and the the thought of the matches and now you're getting guys like bret hart who can actually wrestle come in and in 1991 he had his he had an intercontinental push where he beat mr perfect um at that SummerSlam for the intercontinental title and I don't know if Mike, you kind of want to go into this a little bit. I mean, I I watched the uh, I watched the the Davy Boy at uh, Wimble, Wimbley Stadium, the British Bulldog match. Yeah, he talks about it. Be it was voted match of the year. It was voted one of the best in SummerSlam history. Um, Hart said it was his favorite match. I got to be honest, I was not a huge fan of it. So I don't know of if you want to talk the- about this. Are you talking about the SummerSlam match? You're not a big yeah. fan of that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think it gets it's really great for what it was at the time. I think it's one of the first times at at that moment in WWF where the title wasn't the main event. So you had you had this mid card title with Brett and and British Bulldog main eventing in London, which was really cool. Uh, but I mean, I, I guess I can kind of I can see where people would get that because a lot of times when we talk about like some of our favorite matches are the ones that kind of get really promoted out there is like the best of this is the 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 pinnacle of it. We kind of start to like almost rebel against that. So I can see why you might feel that way. Uh, but when it when talking back again about Mr. Perfect, Brett really credits Mr. Perfect as a huge influence on him as he began as he began to to get a a singles career push that Mr. Perfect was constantly going to bat for him. Uh, You know, obviously, I I think it was well documented that Mr. Perfect had a history of like back issues and was constantly sort of fighting through the pain to make sure he could be there for certain like keystone matches in Brett's career. 
obviously that intercontinental championship win in 91. And then, you know, a couple of years later, he does the same thing for him again with uh, at King of the Ring. He wants to make sure that he's there to sort of help put him over. Um, but yeah, that that match with with Davey, I think, was a turning point in the sense that you kind of saw that Brett in the position he was in the stature of wrestler he was could carry a company. I think that's that's what Vince McMahon might have taken away from that. I have no idea, but that would be my guess, because you saw that you got 80,000 people in the stadium jam packed and they're they're hot for Brett. I mean, and, and British Bulldog, too, for that matter. So it was really starting to change the idea that it needed to be a big guy as your your you know heavyweight champion. So I think I think that's that's the significance of what that match meant more so than maybe the match itself. This is such yeah. a huge period in the in the career of you know Bret the Hitman Hart, and it was at a time when WWE was under a lot of scrutiny with the steroid scandal and right. Hogan and all this stuff, and they were they were looking for a guy who. Uh, wasn't so obviously roided out, like you said, who mm-hmm. uh, could actually work a match. And this was just such a such an exciting period here where where Ric Flair kind of comes into the into the fold. Did you guys mention Ric Flair? Not yet. Okay. All right. No. Yeah, that's it's a huge transition period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, eventually, I mean, you know, Flair drops the title to Brett on this like Coliseum video exclusive. Which was also kind of, I mean, that that to me was like almost like a bigger slap in the face still at the time. Like they, they didn't make it like a main event of like a major pay-per-view. They just did it sort of on a, on a whim. They just kind of dropped it. And that maybe that had to do more with like Flair's contract situation and all that. So you can sort of overlook that. But it's still a big moment for Brett. And I, I just watched that match again recently. And it was, I mean, it's good. It's a great match. And and I think it's only one of a maybe twice or three times they might have even had a match together. So it was really cool to to watch Brett get to that pinnacle. But this is, there, so I, I kind of have a little bit of a hot take here as I'm going through this. So I've been, so when I'm watching the, the Bret Hart documentary and he talks about the title win and he, he kind of touches on his title wins in general. And generally feeling like a majority of them were really just him being a transitional champion. He was sort of there and that his runs were never taken super seriously. And he presents evidence that like many of the matches, many of his title defenses were never the main event. And I started thinking to myself, when was the last time there was a champion like that? And I thought of CM Punk. And it feels very similar in terms of guys that were not really much like the rest of the other guys that were getting put over at the time, guys that were not afraid to sort of stand up to the management and sort of talk about what they felt was, was an issue for them. And, and guys who generally sometimes get vilified for doing that. So that for that reason, that's why I kind of made that comparison. I don't want to like take away from the rest of this podcast to doing that, but it just kind of just something I noticed. And I just wanted to throw that out there. That's my hot. Yeah. I think a lot of that too, like I had mentioned, goes back to WWF at the time promoting. How do you promote a guy like Bret Hart? He's not the biggest guy. He can wrestle, which is what you want to see, but that's not what what puts fans in the seats. Was he the biggest draw? And I don't think at that point he was. He put on some excellent matches. And for people who are fans of wrestling, yes, you know, as you look back, you see that. But is he the guy that could draw the most people in a seat? And I don't know that they thought he was. And that's the problem. And it was the same with CM Punk because you get this small guy who's champion. And now, you know, is he the guy that's going to draw people? And I think that's where they missed the mark. They went back to their old ways. Vince McMahon said, these guys are not his marketing ways. These guys are not going to drop fans, so they shouldn't be champion. And I think that hurt their overall run as champions because they were fighting an uphill battle from the start. And now they're fighting with their company to be that guy. And I think that's where it all comes down. And I think we all have a lot of respect for Brett because we watch the matches and we're all like, damn, this guy puts on a hell of a show, but is he going to draw people? Is he going to make money? And that's ultimately what WWF wants to do. So that's well, where I see it as. Right. And, and 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 I think you're right in that sense, Vito. And and to sort of jump on that, what's odd is that by us being talking about his matches the way we were, that's like he's that's marketing. Yeah. You, you tune in because you're gonna see a great Bret Hart match. You're gonna see a champion 
you know, you know, to, to even quote the Cena thing, like, and he never gives up. You know, he's always he's he's resilient, and he and he's hard hitting, and he's never going to die on you. You know, like there's there's something to be said about that, and I and I think, like you said, they missed the mark. So it's the same uh, reason Ric Flair would never have been as big in the WWF if he started his career there, because he yeah. was loved everywhere down south, mm-hmm. but he was not a big guy, but he knew how to wrestle. He knew how to tell a story and like it just that that is what makes the difference. And that's where WWF misses the mark all the time, you know, and you can see the parallel here. Nowadays, you're pushing guys like Roman Reigns, who finally is getting it together or or Brock Lesnar, who, yeah, they draw people. But like at the end of the day, it's stagnant, you know, and I, Brett, it was just that enigma that I felt was so good in the ring. And we all agree there. You know, I got to say, Bret Hart had you talk about people who could punch right? Like you look at some of the people today and they can't punch like Bret Hart had some believable punches and that's like a big thing. That's a big thing. But, um, to, to move along, like, I know, like we, we talked about him being the, the, the intercontinental champion. He won his first title from Ric Flair on video, right? Then he went along and in 2000, in 1992, he, um, he had his first, first, uh, you know, a main event with Shawn Michaels at the 1992 Survivor Series. Um, what do you think? Like, what do you guys think of that? Like, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't. I really don't even remember the match. I, I don't really either. It doesn't really stand out to me. And maybe it was just sort of where they were at the time. But you know, I, I, I'll be honest. I, I've been watching a ton of his matches, and that's one of them that I that I haven't gotten to yet. I have a, a huge queue of matches to watch. So I haven't been able to touch on yeah. that one yet, which is bad well, considering this is a Bret Hart show and I haven't. Bret, watched it. He ended up, he ended up having a successful title fe- defense against him. And I think that's right. When Sean started to kind of get into his solo run too. Mango, you're going to say something. Oh yeah. You know, guys, I remember this match very clearly. It was one of my favorite matches growing up. The Sean Michaels, like you said, he, he was just starting his run as a singles guy and they kind of, went on together so survivor series 92 versus hbk it's almost like a uh you had to give bret hart uh a guy he could work with but also he was going to win that match there was going to be it was going to be unambiguous he was going to win and then the same thing happened at uh royal rumble 93 if you might remember against razor ramon do you guys remember this i do remember that match. and so there were two consecutive pay-per-views survivor series and royal rumble where he won clean Mm-hmm. And they were trying to rip the Band-Aid off of getting away from Hulk Hogan. Yep. You know, and then th- and they tried to get away from Hogan as best they could. And then that leads up to this WrestleMania 9 thing uh, where they yeah. threw the Band-Aid back on and tried to push all the blood back into the, into the body and said, you know what? We tried it. We tried it. Bret Hart was going to be the guy. But who comes in? Who comes in? At the very last second, our fuckface Hulk Hogan. You know who also got screwed out of that? Yokozuna. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like We talk about Brett, too, and Brett did get screwed. Because if you watch the match he has with Yokozuna, it's really good. Like yeah. for, for Brett working with such a large guy, it just speaks to his versatility in general. But he gets screwed out of out of just having a classic match where maybe you just have a title change and then some rematches down the road. So, as you are all well aware, Yokozuna is one of my favorite wrestlers. Um, He was, by this point, almost 550 pounds. He was uh, one of the quickest big guys ever to hit the the main stage. Uh, And, Mike, to your point, it actually was a solid match where we keep calling it a disaster is because of the Hulk Hogan thing, right? Well, Hulk Hogan's getting ready to uh, move on to other pastures um, as he moves on to WCW shortly after uh, uh, that King of the Ring match, right? Um, But in order to get to that next pay-per-view, because this was the inaugural King of the Ring, they needed to create a little bit of drama, controversy, you know, I actually, that was one of the few matches that I did go back and watch because I'm like, why was it a disaster? The match never was a disaster. The match was fucking good. Um, it's the end. It, it's the ending. And, you know, you can blame 
Mr. Fuji for creating this ridiculous challenge, or you can blame the Hulkster who needed to go out on top as as a uh, as a champion one more time at a WrestleMania before he moves on to uh, onto his next stage. I blame that. Yes, <laughs> I don't blame Mr. I also blame yeah. all do. Yeah. Um, but to put a sharpshooter on a 550 pound man. I mean, yeah, that gentlemen, that's insanity. I do remember fronts. That. So, um, yeah. you know, I, I don't have much to say on this whole episode, but you want to talk about my guy, Yokozuna. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a little bit of insight and, uh, okay. thank you, Bobby. So you're right, Bobby, that brings up a good point. You know, Brett always found a way again to bring out the best in his rest in, in the person he was wrestling. And it was awesome. It's like this respect factor, right? He always had respect for the person he was working with. He'll even tell you to this day, he never injured a single wrestler. And that's something he's very proud of. But the crazy part about that whole thing is, um, you know, he, always told a good story in his matches. Like mm-hmm. you could always find something and I'll get into this when we talk about him in stone cold, but I, but that that's even a perfect one. You have a guy who's 500 and something pounds, you know, he can move around the ring, but to put on a good match with him is very difficult to do. And unfortunately was scarred by Hogan. Um, yeah. But, but as we move along, you know, you'd think that at that point, that's a step back for Brett, but it, it, mm-hmm. it wasn't right. It wasn't, he moves into winning. He was a two-time King of the wing uh, ring winner. Um, and he goes into this feud with Jerry Lawler, who I know, I know you guys are not a huge fan of commentary wise, but the feud he had with the King um, was pretty, pretty entertaining. It was actually a feud of the year um, in 92. So, that's a that's a big thing. And it, it basically started with Brett coming out being a two-time King of the Ring winner and Lawler says I'm the real king and then they go back and forth and they had a, a ton of different matches and um thought that that was a, a a pretty good one. Um and and then and then we start to find something interesting, right? We get into the Owen feud. Um which which could be one of the best feuds of all time and I'll I'll let I'll let someone else kind of elaborate on this one. I'll jump in on here because I think besides the coming up feud that we're going to have a whole episode on, I think this was his best feud against his brother. I think it just, it, it, things just clicked. Uh, and, and it was, we talk about organic a lot. We use that word, but it felt that way. And when things work out that way, we tend to be able to get emotionally invested. And this was one of those feuds, just the whole thing. I mean, you have Owens, like the seeds of jealousy and dissent amongst him and his brother. And like Jim, the anvil started stoking the flames early on in some of the matches. And then, and then you have kind of Owen turning on Brett. And, and what's interesting there is that Brett never comes out and says, you know, I, I hate you. I hate your guts. I want to, I, I want to kick your ass. Brett was always very somber about it. He was always uh, almost sad that he had to be fighting his brother. And I always thought that that was an interesting take on his character while he approached these matches with Owen. You know, he would kind of get pissed, but he was never saying, you know, I hated my brother. And I just feel like that kind of emotional thread was something that that me personally, I could latch on to and like, oh, wow. You know, like he's sort of fighting his brother begrudgingly. And and their work in the ring was just stellar. That match at WrestleMania 10 is unbelievable. Probably one of the best show openers for a WrestleMania ever. Uh, their ability to just have chemistry with each other, which to be honest, not a lot of family members have when they get in the ring together. I've seen a couple, we've seen some of those as time has gone on with like the Hardys and the Guerreros. And sometimes it doesn't always work. So it was really cool to see that Owen and Brett had that kind of ability to do that. And then once Brett later on in that show wins the title back from Yokozuna in his great sort of uh, redemption moment from the previous year's debacle, he just continues on and and has an absolutely stellar cage match with him. SummerSlam 19, uh, 1994. Mango, I think you might have something you want to say on this. Bobby does. Actually, I wanted to go back to uh, a little bit of the beginnings of the Owen and uh, Brett feud. So this is an exclusive Brett Hart on his website, um, Confessions of the Hitman series. It's $35 Canadian for those who are interested in um, listening to it. It's a 
It's currently like 35 to 40 episodes, short snippets of um, of little side stories that Brett wants to wants to get off his chest. And one of them was actually the whole Brett Owen feud. Now, Brett and Owen needed to, um, they discussed it because when Vince brought it to, uh, to their attention, to Brett's attention specifically, because at the time, one of his biggest uh, concerns on the storytelling was trying to handle creative as well. And Brett was at least given creative um, was able to give Vince creative guidance, uh, which was seldom for many wrestlers, but Brett had that control because he was that good of a storyteller in the ring, but outside of the ring, he was able to, uh, pick up some steam there. And before Owen was Owen, he was the blue blazer and he was a jobber. He was, you know, he, he was actually getting ready to become a firefighter because he wasn't getting used enough. And, um, one of the reasons to actually stoke flame and, and show the wrestling community that he was one of the best in the ring. And he truthfully was, he was a great lightweight wrestler um, that didn't get enough credit. And he started getting the credit because of these matches and Bret Hart um, talked to Owen said, you know, do you want to do it? Owen was all for it because he wanted to show the world that he was that good. And he knew because at the time there was also a salary cap. He was a higher, higher, uh, higher paid wrestler. So he was in it to, to get a couple of dollars too. Uh, cause he was going to get a little more, uh, a little more of a purse because he was fighting, fighting bread at the time. He was like, of course I want to do this. Uh, and that's how they, they went home. They would go if they were at home for Thanksgiving or something like that. They never talked to each other. They embodied the feud in every way, shape, and form. They stopped traveling together. Uh, and it's one of the reasons why we talk about that organicness. It was because they followed through in every element. They wanted to show you that it was real to the point where it was so real that every time that they were traveling in Calgary um, to go off to another show, TSA or Canada's version of TSA stopped them, held them in the, uh, held them for um, luggage and saying that there was something wrong with uh, one of their, one of their pieces of luggage and they needed to go through the x-ray machine multiple times. And Owen and Brett started getting really, um, really anxious because they wanted to get their flight. So Owen being a little more vocal goes, this is bullshit. And Brett actually chimes in and goes, yeah, this is bullshit. And they're like, ha, you two do talk to each other. And that was the whole thing because they wanted to show, uh, show the world that they actually truthfully hated each other because that's what they wanted to convey on stage. And they were so good with getting that done that uh, that's why we loved the storylines that, you know, whether it was Owen at Survivor Series in 94 you know, when that was the whole, just, that was a great match. And it was a great way to segue into that WrestleMania 10. So, yeah, that brings up a good point, Bobby, too. Um, like at that point, you know, the Owen, the Owen Hart, the Owen and Brett steel cage match got a five-star rating. And I think at this point you're seeing Brett games gain a lot of steam in the wrestling world. He won the, that won the 1994 feud of the year. Brett had won a few um, wrestlers of the year um, from uh, pro wrestling in uh, pro wrestling insider PWI um, or pro wrestling illustrated. Um, so he, he's gaming, gaining steam. He won his third title against diesel um, around that time. And then he'd have one of his worst matches in his career against him when he wins that, that third, that third title. He, he hated the match against diesel, thought it was terrible. Um, goes on and they start getting into the, the uh, feud with Shawn Michaels. Okay. And this is where we're going to pick up at the HBK versus Shawn Michaels. However, this goes big into Brett's career. Okay. Because at this time, WrestleMania 12 HBK is at a point where he's got the sizzle, right? You got Brett Hart. Who's got the, the talent 
and he's a great wrestler, but can't talk on the mic. He's your ultimate professional, your consummate professional. But then you got Shawn Michaels, who's got a little bit more sizzle, a little bit more edge. And you're at this teetering point where, okay, what do we do here? What do we do here? And Brett was all about respect. He he felt he had gained respect at this point. He was the head of the company. He held the title. Back then, holding the title was meaningful. It meant you were the head of the company, right? It meant something. And so at WrestleMania 12, they went back and forth and Brett, they came up with a plan. Brett was going to, Brett was going to lose this match. Uh, and it was going to be like a best of three series. Well, on the flip side, Shawn Michaels is kind of, uh, in a bad place here. Um, he's the guy that, you know, likes to party, does drugs, not really truthful, but Vince McMahon really respects him. Vince sees him as himself as like a son, you know, he sees Shawn Michaels as this guy above everybody else. And so they come to a conclusion and this is where it all kind of starts, right? The feud between Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, but Bret ends up losing this match. And at the end of the match, you know, it's supposed to be this big thing. Bret's all about respect, right? When you lose your title, okay, you lose your title and you're supposed to go and the person who wins it, you get in the back of the room and they thank you, right? They thank you as a sign of respect. Well, when Sean wins this match, he tells Bret Hart to get out of his ring when he does this, when he does the, uh, you know, the, 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 the thing where he gets on his knees and he's like this, he literally says, get out of my ring. And that yeah. did not leave, that did not leave Brett in a, a good state of mind. He was pissed. And that's kind of where this all starts because these two are so different. Like Brett's so, so professional. And Sean is just like, I don't give a shit. I'm the wild child. I'm going to run this show. I'm cocky. I'm arrogant. I'm young. Mm -hmm. I'm the new guy. And I'm going to have the, and then it like builds up and we'll talk more about it when we get to that special, but this is a key moment in their feud, a key moment. I believe this is uh, the genesis of their feud. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's at this point though, that Brett's like, okay, it's time for me to step back a little bit. I'm letting Sean take the, the lead. He knew it. He was all about it. He was a little disgruntled. They show him get, they, they don't talk. They get in the, he gets in the, 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 um, whatever Cadillac black car and speeds off and he's supposedly going to retire. Right. and, and uh and he's gone for a few few months um this is where wcw comes to him and they basically try to get him to uh come to wcw and he goes to vince and says i have a lot of respect for you um you know i i don't want to and vince you know doesn't have a lot of money at this point this is the low part of wwf's situation and they give him a 20 year contract um uh, basically making him a wrestler Oh, for, for his life. Okay. And at yeah. that point he gets inducted into the hall of fame, the pro wrestling hall of fame while he's still active in 96. Right. Not the WWF hall of fame to be clear. Right. Correct. It's not that one. It's no, the pro wrestling an actual hall. one. Right. Yeah. So that, that brings up this, this next thing where, okay, he's done with Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels is going to mm -hmm. hold the belt and be the new head of the company. Whether he liked it or not, it was, wasn't up to him. So he comes back and he says, these are the guys I want to work with. And Stone Cold is hot, right? He does that whole Austin 316 gimmick at King of the Ring. And he's, he's gaining steam, right? He's gaining steam. And he sees him and he likes to work with them. And so that's when Stone Cold, he's got this attitude and he's trying to bring Brett out of retirement. And it turns into this great feud. And this is what made Stone Cold Steve Austin. It really did. Um, I, I want to get into depth on this, but I don't want to keep talking because I could keep going on this forever. It's great. It's great. Folks, if you can't tell, Vito loves Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> so anytime he's going to get a chance to talk about Stone Cold, he's going to jump on it. No, I, Vito, I, I'm with you. I think this this almost is like, Obviously, we're approaching the twilight of Brett's WWF career, and this is a, a hell of a way to begin that because those matches with Austin, both at Survivor Series and later on WrestleMania 13, which is the one everybody talks about, that it they're so great and and kind of redefines Brett as well. And along the way, 
speaking to how unselfish of a performer he was, it's making Austin as well. Oh, absolutely. And the Survivor Series match is so good because there were points where, you know, Austin is literally begging begging Brett to come back and have this match. And he, you know, he starts to slowly come back. And his first match back is against Austin at Survivor Series. So it's strange because you're getting this new attitude, this like Stone Cold is this like uh, you know, malicious guy who will do anything to get Bret Hart back. And he absolutely hates him. Like there was one point where, you know, Bret Hart hurts his knee and he gets in an ambulance and they're, they put him in there and, and Austin's at the front of the ambulance driving it and he gets out and just starts beating the shit out of him. It was awesome. It was so good. It was so good. So they get to this match and you're, you're like, everybody wants to kind of like Bret Hart, but then there are some people who like Austin and it's this weird dynamic so the match ends with a roll-up pin of Stone Cold. Like Stone Cold was trying so hard to beat this guy who's one of the best wrestlers of all time, and it's a roll-up pin that wins it. So they try, they go through things, and they build up this feud as they go along. And it was right around this point where Bret Hart gives the line, and I posted it on our Twitter. He has some match, I forget what it is, is a steel cage match, and he loses. I think it's interfered with against uh there's some sort of interference and if he had won that he would have been defending the title against austin at wrestlemania i believe and he ends up losing it because of interference and um bret hart gets pissed which you did never saw brett was the consummate professional right like you said low key and he, he uh vince mcmahon comes out to interview interview him and bret hart loses his mind he says this is bullshit Everyone in there knows I'm the best there is, the best there was. And you start to see this different side of Brett where he's turning into like this heel and slowly Austin is turning into the baby face. And this is where I think the whole attitude era started because now you're Brett knew that this was happening and he still wanted to come across as this nice, like do things the right way company guy. And Austin was the guy who was like, fuck society. I'm going to do it the way that I want to do it. They have their match at WrestleMania 13, right? And it was the match of the year. It was an, it was a submission match, which made it even better. They go out in the crowd. It was an awesome match. Brett was going after Austin's knee. That was messed up. Austin was selling it. Um, you know, it was just fantastic. And then the best thing that happened was the finisher of this because it wasn't Austin saying I quit. It was Austin passing out from blood loss in the sharpshooter, which right was the perfect ending because it showed Bret Hart was still the superior guy, but mm-hmm. Austin had guts and it made you like Austin and hate Bret Hart. Absolutely. It was, it's one of the, I think one of the very few examples of like the double turn in pro wrestling, it's really hard to do. And it had to be, I feel like it, it could only have been those two guys that could pull that off. And let's not forget probably the most jacked referee of all time and Ken Shamrock <laughs> just oh, yeah. Out, yeah. keeping yeah. the peace in that match. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. No. And so that really, I think that's what propelled Austin's career. Brett had a lot of respect for him, you know, and that's a perfect example of someone losing and still getting over, Absolutely. you know, and people don't get that any day. People think if I don't win, I can't get over. And it's not true. It's not true. So I know we're short on time, but but this kind of leads us into the new Bret Hart, right? Mm-hmm. And the Attitude Era. And Bre- Bret Hart says that he hated the Attitude Era. But quite honestly, he was a perfect fit because he was that goody two-shoes guy that people, you're, you know, in your conscience, you're supposed to like Bret Hart, but you couldn't like him because you like Stone Cold. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's a bad guy. So it's like you had this real life, you know, thing going on you, you had a real life conundrum Vito. is yeah. that you, you liked both of them but you didn't feel like you were able to have space for both of them so you had to just choose one or the other and at the time stone cold was coming on pretty hot so yeah. it was much it was much more acceptable to just say well fuck bret hart then you know he you know this yep. guy sucks he's sort of an he's a dinosaur now you know he's been around too long yep but uh yeah. but, but what's funny is during that like kind of going off of that so after wrestlemania after WrestleMania uh, 13, like throughout 97, you see Brett kind of like working with a lot of different guys again. One of the guys he works with is uh, just a little known guy. He was Intercontinental Champion at the time. I don't know. You might know him. Uh, Rocky Maivia. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, 
And even in that match, he helps put that guy over. And we'll get a, I, I'm going to share some stories about that in the, the Brett versus Sean podcast. Cause I feel like this story, that story makes more sense for that. But yeah. him, him and Owen both help rock during that time. And again, even while he's playing this heel backstage, he's still this guy that's trying to help out some of the younger talent. Cause he, even though he may not always agree with the attitude era, the guy knew where the business was going and he wanted to help it succeed. Right. And he did it perfectly. Yeah. And then he gets into the, yeah, get into very... the U S versus America feud, you know, and then that whole thing, we'll talk a little bit more about that when we talk about HBK versus Sean, because that's really the, the, the sticking point between it all. Vito, did you just say the USA versus America? That's a, that's a, he, <laughs> He did. We we just saw it recently. Yeah, actually, you, that you might be referencing right. Wednesday. But <laughs> yeah. I think I think what you mean is Canada versus USA. Yes, that is what. And I mean. of course, we'll get into that uh, in the third part of the series uh, with the Shawn Michaels stuff. But it's really crazy how he would be booed in America and cheered in Canada. Really, really That's crazy. A cool. What a wonderful thing to do. Like how like we won't see that again. That's cool. Like they barely go to Canada now, so you you never right. really are going to see that. Like right. they, they were going to Canada almost every other week. You would just, they, I felt like there was a show somewhere. So it was, that was really cool. But, yeah. So I guess for, for the people that are listening, like just to let them know, we're not ignoring the, the screw job. We're not ignoring the stuff with John Michaels. We're sort of want to make sure that we're dedicating this solely to Brett and then making sure we, we save some of that for the Brett first Sean podcast that we're going to do for you guys. Yeah. So he, at exactly. this point, you know, they get into this whole feud with Shawn Michaels and everything and Brett and, and Degeneration X and everything. And, uh, there was controversy The Montreal screw job happens. Brett gets an offer from WCW and Vince basically says, uh, you know, I can't match that. You should go back and see if they can offer it to you. He does. And he decides he's going to leave. Um, and it creates, what was already kind of this, this powder keg between Shawn Michaels and HBK, it just ignites it. And um, there were some decisions made, which we'll talk about later that, um, that, that then moves Brett on to WCW and leaves WWF in a bad light. And what happened once he got to WCW veto, it was terrible. Not they, they hold off on introducing him after the screw job, which was one of the biggest mistakes they could have made. Cause like this guy was super hot. He had so much momentum going into it and they could have run with that because it was like, it was one of the biggest stories, not just in wrestling, but it, it kind of made its way into some mainstream media too, with that, with that, the, like the, with how everything played out. So it's surprising. Well, not really surprising when we look back at WCW, but that they would hold back, on introducing him at the time and really i i didn't watch much of his wcw run i saw bits and pieces but it, it just seemed very convoluted in terms of their stories for him and never really giving him much more than like the u.s title i know he had a world championship run but it was kind of tainted by that time I, I you saw a guy that was pretty dejected yeah, I would say that uh, – are there any highlights from the WCW time? I will say this. Okay, I was listening to a Jim Cornette thing the other day, and somebody asked him, uh, what do you think of, uh, you know, Sting, of a Sting versus Bret the Hitman Hart? And uh, Jim Cornette goes, yeah, okay, it never happened. Because uh, he – Jim Cornette, a, a wrestling guy, forgot that they had fought each other. It was a Scorpion Deathlock versus uh, the uh, Sharpshooter. Think about that. Think about all of the things that could have happened in WCW that just didn't materialize. And uh, there were just so many sharks in the water there. I mean, everybody was there to collect a paycheck. They didn't really care. You know, Uh, Brett cared about the business, but at that time he felt backstabbed. So what's he going to do for the business? You know, Mm -hmm. Um, what's the biggest highlight? WCW wise for Bret Hart for each of you guys, probably his uh, his tribute match to Owen that he had with Benoit. I, I think agree. That's, that's what that's I was going to say. match he had. It's it's the only thing that that really felt like it was it was real. It, it felt good. Real. It was it was great to watch, and it was the only thing he had to ever sink his teeth into. Unfortunately, like that's it's the worst thing you could have your brother dying, and yet it's the only thing 
that WCW ever did right was allow him to to have that kind of match with with Benoit, who had connections to him and the Hart family in the dungeon. Yeah. So Vito, that's yours too. Yeah. No, absolutely. Kristen, yeah. Like, no, that definitely. Yeah. What a match. Yeah, that's definitely my uh, mine. The other thing is when he when Goldberg speared him and he had the steel plate in his uh, shirt. I thought that that was pretty interesting. Again, it's a cheesy, it's a cheesy storyline with WCW, but they just had nothing like they had, they were so confusing. There was no leadership there. You know, he was also out with the whole Owen thing, which I'm sure affected him. He had injuries and it was at this point too, like he's in there and he he's in NWO. Then he's not in NWO. Then nothing like then nothing. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was, it was just, uh, it was tough. It was tough. It was tough to watch, but um, that was pretty much his WCW run in in a in a uh, in a nutshell. Yeah. yeah. As we're kind of low on time here, do we want to touch on uh, the return to WWE, which was mostly outside the ring, or do we want to save that for uh, the third? Let's episode? save. Yeah. Let's save that for the third episode because I, I yeah, feel we'll like save that, that. That yeah, we'll save that. Yeah, we'll save that. That'll serve us better. Okay, so we're ending the Bret Hart saga here at the mm-hmm. WCW days, and we're picking it up in our third of the third part series for our fans who are listening. Join us on at, at from underscore gorilla on Twitter. We have not been uh, banned, unfortunately. <laughs> not yet. Uh, so as, uh, as we're signing off here, who uh, you guys have some two cents to, to get to? Um, really just to throw some things out there. Once again, if, if folks are listening and they want to find out more bread about the bread heart information that we've been kind of spewing out to you and, and singing his praises, the 2005 DVD best there is best there was best there ever will be check that out. I'm not sure if it's on the network. It might not be actually, but you could, you could find that on DVD. Uh, also the wrestling with shadows documentary is really good. It's, it's very interesting because it kind of follows Brett from all the way from 96 through 98. So obviously a very pivotal time in pro wrestling and covers the screw job and all of that. And really gives a backstage look on where his mindset was at, at the time. Um, and uh, I don't want to eat into other people's two cents, but a couple of just match recommendations for people to check out. These are on the network. Uh, you know, I've, we've, Talked before during the Undertaker podcast, and I said that his match with Bret Hart at One Night Only in 97. Check that out. I'm going to say that again. Uh, In Your House in December 95, he fights the British Bulldog. I actually like this better than the SummerSlam match. Back to something that Vito had mentioned before. Uh, Check that out. Uh, Check out his whole gauntlet of matches from the 93 King of the Ring. We talk about Bam Bam Bigelow a lot because that's the one that's on the DVDs. But he has two other matches on that card against Razor Ramon and against Mr. Perfect. And they're both pretty wonderful and different matches. And all three of those matches, he wins in very different ways. And none of them are the sharpshooter. Um, and I already mentioned the match with Demolition. And I think that's all I got. Sorry to take up so much time. Yeah, I uh, just to go on that light too, uh, mine would be, I really enjoyed this. Obviously, Bret Hart's one of our favorite wrestlers. We talk about him all the time. We could probably spend 100 uh, episodes on on Bret Hart, but we got the three-part series. This is part one. Next next podcast, part two, will be HBK. I'm excited about that one. Uh, but, I, you know, one thing where I, 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 I got a lot of insight on is um, the Grilling with JR podcast, which I loved. They have a segment on HBK and a segment on Bret Hart. Um, which I didn't even know they had before we did this, but it's very interesting. You hear a lot of the backstory um, from Jr., and it's it's very cool, very cool about the two. So I highly recommend checking that out too if you want some more insight. Bobby Stone, gentlemen, it wouldn't be a uh, strutting from Gorilla Podcast without the Stockwatch. We're currently at forty eight dollars and twenty four cents uh, since Christmas. It has done nothing but go up, and I'm not really sure why. Um, but that's that's one nugget. Um, the only other nugget that I could recommend, my uh, network nugget, if you will, would just be going back to the very first King of the Ring. It's one of my favorites of all time. And to uh, uh, to Cassio's point earlier, uh, he doesn't use the sharpshooter once, um, and it's it's fantastic all the way through. Um, and I think that was a great way to show the world that he is the best there is the best there was and the best there ever will be because 
the king of the ring. And that's where he is in my heart. The king of the ring. We get one last thing about king of the ring. Seriously? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I know that we've talked about Brett being a two-time king of the ring champ. And many people are like, well, when was the other fucking king of the ring that he won? Well, here's the thing. You're not going to be able to find it on the network because technically it wasn't necessarily a pay-per-view. It was a show that they did in 91 that was in, I think it was in Providence of all places where all great shows take place. And it was a technically kind of like this house show really, where they just did this tournament and it, you can find it on YouTube actually. So I think we might try to see if we can post it on our Twitter, might just post a link up there, but you can have it, it's, there's no commentary or anything. And it's just from like a handheld camera so the quality is what it is, but if it's something you want to check out, check it out. So that's that's why when we say two-time King of the Ring, because he won that one, but it's it was never televised. WWE has never released the the footage. I've looked through that's the amazing. old school, um, the old school nuggets as well, because that's where I I really enjoy uh, a lot of the classics um, and couldn't find it. I made sure to scrub that twice over after we uh, we yeah. came across it. Yeah. And as you can tell, Strutting from Gorilla loves some Brett the Hitman heart. And thanks for tuning in. We'll see everybody next week on the Shawn Michaels episode. And then, oh, two weeks from now, sorry. Uh, we're every other week here on Strutting from Gorilla. And, uh, and then our third and final part of the series will be HBK versus Bret Hart. And then uh, I've just decided that at the end of that, we're going to have a nice long trivia session. HBK trivia and Brett the Hitman heart trivia. So I'll see you in four weeks for that. So uh, we'll see you guys. Have a good week. We now return your perception of reality to you.